Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to another esports moment. I'm Seamus Byrne. Last week I attended the Six Invitational. That's the annual Rainbow Six Siege esports event that has become the game's world championship. It takes place in Montreal, Canada, which is also the home of the Siege development team. So alongside the event, I had the chance to catch up with two of the key figures behind Siege, brand director Alexander Remy and esports director Francois Xavier Denier. So in this episode, I'm going to bring you those two conversations. Now, Rainbow Six Siege has been evolving in a very methodical fashion. It's entering its fourth year of content updates with a very clear and very public vision that it will be continuously updated through to at least its 10th anniversary. The game has just recently made some pricing adjustments that have led to the game leaping back to the top of game sales charts, and it's clear that its player base continues to grow. Last count I heard was around 35 million people are playing Siege. And those present at events like the Six Invitational show that they have a deep passion for this game. I've enjoyed learning a lot more about the game over the past six months. It's dangerous to make predictions, but Siege really feels like it's on a path that could see it slowly but steadily eat into CSGO's base. Siege feels like Ubisoft learnt from MOBAs and from CSGO to make a truly modern team shooter, with features like destructibility of the environments a big part of its strategic success. Anyway, enough of me chatting about it, let's get into the discussion. First, I chat with FX Daniel, and then we'll hear from Alexandra Remy. Start of year four, a good place to begin would be uh, how you know, what's your kind of big picture view of the first three years and, you know, how the esports program has, has worked for Siege so far? Um, you know, every year being at the Six Invitational and uh, watch what we did the year before, you know, I remember three years ago being for the first uh, Six Invitational in Montreal. It was not the same venue. It was not the same uh, crowd. But, you know, we can be proud of what we did uh, in the last three years um, because... You know, it's, we, ju- we always need to take some distance and, and see what we, uh, uh, what we achieve. Uh, Ubisoft was not well known by, as an esports. 
company few years ago. Yeah, it's a good point. Because uh, uh, it was not, I will say, part of the DNA to introduce this kind of uh, 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 pillar of the company. Uh, right now, uh, we can be proud of uh, Rainbow Six. Uh, we enter the uh, e-sport ecosystem and the e-sport industry. And today, we can put uh, uh, 3,000 people into uh, a venue in Montreal, which is uh, an achievement for all of us. But... Um, I'm, I'm really happy because we took the essence of Ubisoft inside, uh, to introduce our esports. You know, um, we introduced more than 18 different national tournaments in less than three years. Why? Because Ubisoft is really well represented locally because we have subsidiary everywhere in the world. So we had the chance to have, we have, the chance to have local team uh, expert on this market and uh, they developed locally and they use their knowledge locally to develop national tournaments and uh, at a more uh, international level uh, we took the time because each sport is only about take the time to find the right format to find the find approach of e-sport and our own dna because there is no one format on e-sport there is different format and today we have something we are proud uh, it's working so let's see what happens but uh, it's exciting yeah and uh, we, yeah just before we started recording you're saying that you know we are just a year into having the you know, the APAC Pro League and here we are with two quarterfinalists from the region so you know is that kind of part of that sense of having those kind of key local touch points that helps to elevate the game everywhere. Exactly. Uh, the perfect example for for this, uh, I would say, this evolution of our system and our um, pro league is Japan. Uh, one year and a half ago, we introduced the pro league in Japan. Let's be honest, uh, Japan is was not a well-known market for esports except versus fighting game uh, locally. Yeah. And we took. Um, uh, our strategy and our idea was, okay, we have a, a really good team locally with Ubisoft Japan. Let's, let's be as close as possible to the DNA of the market to find the right approach to develop a format of competition from a Japanese uh, community. And one year, uh, one year and a half after, um, Japan is our number two in terms of community. We have Nora Rengo in semi-final. So meaning we find the right approach. The idea from the beginning when we introduced the APAC region was not to introduce one simple region with multiple countries because let's, let's take some distance. Uh, APAC is uh, half of the world. So we need place. to find a, region, a different approach. So the idea was to be as close as possible to the, every local market. So that's why we introduced four sub-regions of esports with Japan, South Korea, Southeast of Asia, and Australia, many. And it was, I think, the right approach because one year and a half ago, we have two teams in the main event. Yeah. And now, you know, when it comes to so much esports discussion looks at, you know, who's the biggest and, you know, what's, you know, what's the big thing right now? And if you're not the biggest, then, you know, why are you here? Whereas I think you guys seem to have really clearly carving your own path, seeing that good growth, growth trend over time. And that, you know, the whole game is based around this idea of a good 10-year plan. So, you know, how do you feel like you guys are doing on your own benchmarks for that kind of growth for both, I guess, fans and participation? Mm -hmm. uh, it's totally right what you mentioned. Uh, every title needs to find its own path. Uh, there is uh, some ingredients we need to use for sure, but uh, we need to be as close as possible from when we are creating an esports 
strategy around the game, we need to be as close as possible to the game itself and the DNA of the game. That's why we are working a lot with the production team to define the, the, the format of competition. Because let's be honest, if the format of competition and the DNA of esports is not Uh, close to the DNA of the game, you will see at one point a difference. You will see a difference in terms of balancing, in terms of game, in terms of production, uh, development, in terms of features and everything. So it's a balance uh, together. So there is a lot of discussion. But as the game took the time to find, you know, his road, and Ryan, you can see after four years that they know where they, where they have to go. It's the same for esports. We know what, where we need to go. We just need to time, to take the time to in, integrate after and after some elements. It was APAC one year and a half ago. We introduced minors. Uh, right now, we introduce, we, ha, we are going in Asia for our first product final. You know, it's taking the time. Yeah. Um, are you finding that Uh, the esports program, does that attract new players to the game? Like, or is it that most of the viewers are people who play and they just want to watch kind of that elite level? Like, do you have any sense of the that sort of balance? Because, you know, it's always about uh, eggs. Uh, <laughs> this is people are coming because you are, you are watching esports or because people are watching esports because they are playing the game. Yeah. So, uh, today, most of our uh, viewers are players of Rainbow yep. Six. Uh, this proportion, for sure, when the, when your game is growing in esports, this proportion will be more and more balanced, I will say, because you will attract a new audience. That's why we are working a lot with the production to develop new tools, new experience for a viewer. Because today, when you are a casual player, to watch this guy, they are not playing the same game. Yeah, yeah. So that's why it's not so easy. So that's why it's how you want to approach uh, an event uh, to introduce more analysis around the game, uh, to, to onboard our casual audience to a more professional uh, event. Uh, so that's why uh, this is where we need to work as an industry, I will say, huh? because yeah. it's the same case for every game. Some games are doing some amazing stuff. I'm taking the example of one of our competition is Dora with their noob stream, which is for me really smart. Yeah. The idea of introducing a stream for people who are not playing Dora for the international, for me, it's a really good example of how you need to approach a new audience. And for me, is where the sports are really good yeah. and where esports need to... Uh, to develop their, uh, their expertise. For yeah. Sure. And so, uh, you know, from presentation earlier, it seems year four now, it's kind of about, uh, you know, that you feel like you've, you've refined the formatting of the way that the eSport is operating. And now it's, uh, you know, that sort of consolidation and making sure that, I guess, and adding some new events and things this yeah. year. So, you know, like what, what for you are the key things about this year ahead for the development as a sport? For me, it's uh, opening our system. Uh, we... He, uh, let's see what's, uh, what we're going to do with the minor. You know, last year it was Ford Remac, who was really happy with uh, uh, what we did. But uh, what we want to do this year is to introduce new partners. It's not just having a, a different uh, uh, logo and name. It's just because, let's be honest, it will be the first time we'll open our ecosystem to mm. new partners. So it's a risk we are taking. But at the, term, at the same time, it's uh, also giving the chance to a new approach for our tournament, to, to go in a new market. For example, with Ogapit, we are going in the east of Europe, which mm. was not the case before. Um, so for us, it's to find the right balance between keeping uh, uh, the, the, the rules and the lead at Ubisoft because we want to continue to develop with our vision, but also give the tools, the rules to our external market, uh, partner, sorry, to develop in a new region. 
Yeah. And look, this, I mean, this is a huge debate in all of esports right now is that internal control versus open up the market. So, you know, this seems like, I guess, a smart sort of couple of steps towards that more open approach and finding where that balance is going to be for you guys, right? Test all the time. It's, yeah. it's testing. Uh, as you mentioned, you've right. There is two models right now. There is a, a third one, which is the one we are tracing right now, which is uh, having a layer of competition uh, done uh, by Ubisoft, our partners directly, and some of the part of the competition with external partners. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, there is there is different uh, format of competition. Uh, I'm really happy to see the market growing in different way because it's meaning that there is place for everyone. Uh, at Ubisoft right now, the idea is to uh, uh, be where we need to be in terms of uh, events with the right partners and uh, we'll continue to work on the development for uh, for next year for sure. Cool. Um, what, um, you know, how are you finding the discussions with your own, I guess, sponsorship partners as well? You know, you have in this tournament, you know, we see uh, Lenovo, uh, HyperX, and then also PayPal, yes. I guess, from that outside sort of space. You know, um, how are you finding that though do those discussions get easier over time uh, as as these kind of particularly the non-endemics start to kind of understand what this is uh yes uh you know i remember same things and the first exhibitional first discussion with partners three years ago if i was a partner three years ago it was not so easy to <laughs> be introduced in rainbow six because it's it was a new game uh uh new esport ecosystem around you know when we are uh, uh, we have some uh, uh, discussion with some uh, sponsor right now after three years we introduce major organization liquid fanatic so we have uh, we are we are well represented i will say in terms of organization uh, we have some background in esports uh, i'm really proud of uh, the sponsoring team and what we are doing right now at ubisoft especially with paypal because it's the first time that we have, uh, uh, I would say, a non-endemic brand yeah. into our ecosystem. So it's a good message sent to everyone that we can have a partner such as uh, PayPal for our game. So I will say it's more easy to to discuss with some partners. It's still challenging for uh, a challenge to uh, to uh, develop a partnership, but uh, for sure we're in a, a yeah. good position. Right <laughs> yeah. Now. now, how far forward are you thinking when it comes to? Uh, any sort of further big changes to the way you might run the esport? Um, you know, do you on that kind of long term roadmap? You know, like did let's say like this time last year, did you think you know what? I think by the end of year three, we're going to have the format really nicely, you know, balanced, and therefore next year can be you know worrying about different things. Or uh, you know, is it one year at a time? Or do you sort of think by uh, in year six we want to do this, this, this? Uh- more and more, we have a long-term plan, yeah. meaning that we are ready for at least a couple of uh, years. Yeah. Uh, we have still some uh, a big challenge. We can also uh, change a bit our vision, which is, for me, introduction of new region because there is still one we are missing, which is China yeah. at one point. Uh, let's see what will happen. But uh, it's very exciting to see because it will, uh, I will say, rebalance completely. Uh, and you, we saw that on other games. Because when we introduce China, it's changing completely the model of esports. Uh, meaning that we are putting all the tools and the, all the foundation to introduce China at one point. Um, we, yes, we have, we have planned for, uh, uh, years, but the idea is to, uh, be as flexible as possible. When I mention uh, DNA of esports needs to be as close to the DNA of the game, the game, the part of the DNA of the game is the flexibility 
to change the game every three months. We need to keep this approach for the esports, but with, uh, I will say, strong foundation. And uh, we have it right now is to tweak as much uh, when we need to tweak uh, our esports ecosystem. So uh, apart from, I guess, you know, sort of China is one of those sort of big, you know, forward looking, uh, concepts you know are there any other big things that are currently you know on the table that you're sort of thinking or you know that's the next big challenge down the track that we want to tackle another, another one for me which is really important is south korea let's be honest uh we are we are good we have a pro league in korea we saw mantis who has as a group set so it was already a good uh, uh bench a good window and a good uh, example for us uh we need to develop our investment and our uh, position in south korea so we are working right now and discussing with uh, uh, partners because uh, to become a top three or top four title at one point we need to be strong in korea so it's one of the main strategy we have in mind so asia is definitely a huge a strategy and a, a big part of our strategy. Uh, for me, the other part is local um, uh, approach, uh, grassroots, but national approach, uh, approach with the national tournament we have more and more is, is very important. Uh, let's see how we can uh, uh, create a more and more link between every layer of competition this perfect pyramid we were all want at one point. Uh, so we have two main, I will say, um, uh, strategy for the couple of years, which is Asia and uh, and local tournament for sure. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. So yeah, good to see you again. Yeah, same uh, here. And of course, you know now uh, cl- clearly you dropped from seeing it. <laughs> I'm uh, sorry. I'm, I'm spilling everything. That's my uh, headphone <laughs> packet. There we go. All right. <laughs> um, clearly, uh, you know, after catching up with us Australians so many times, you felt like it was it was time to uh, to hit the Aussie operators and not just operators, but a map as well. Yeah. So, you know, really kind of exciting, fresh start to the year, and uh, particularly for for people from my part of the world. I do imagine, and indeed, it's uh, quite an exciting season. I believe that uh, we're packing up for uh, uh, with Burnt Horizon. That's the name of uh, indeed that new operation that brings us to uh, Australia with two Australian Aussies operators and that's pretty uh, to us exciting because that's going to be the main season of the year because uh, the rest of the year is uh, going to be of course with two operators per season but more a focus on 
reworking the maps or taking yeah. maps uh, that needs a little bit of, of love. And uh, Australia is, is going to be that, that single huge season with a lot of content and a new map. And talking to some of the local PR crew, I think it's worth kind of highlighting how closely you have worked with the local teams to make sure that just all those little details the exact kinds of things people love to jump on Reddit and talk about uh, that you're not kind of missing any big obvious things that might go wrong. So, uh, and, and also how much uh, of the voice acting work was even kind of double checked with the local team and things like that. Much. So it seems like, you know, you really care about those details. We're trying as much as possible. And I think that's also part of the fun uh, for the developers that making sure that, you know, they do a lot of background, a lot of uh, research and a lot of feedback. And we're lucky enough uh, at Ubisoft to actually also have uh, colleagues working there, knowing uh, uh, obviously the country, the references, because from Montreal, we might and could even have uh, some some wrong uh, interpretation, you know, it's always difficult to tackle a, a country, its culture, etc. So uh, hopefully we did it uh, as right as possible. And uh, indeed, it's, it's been a very uh, cool collaboration with our colleagues uh, uh, there uh, so that we try to capture, I think, uh, uh, and ideally the essence of what uh, adapted for the game, but uh, an essence of, uh, of Australia. And I hope uh, that everyone feels it. Yeah. And yeah, talking to uh, FX earlier as well, he was pointing out that it is a real strength of of Ubisoft as a company, the fact that you have offices all around the world. And, I mean, I imagine it hasn't just been for the Outback map, that for so many of the different operators and different things you've brought in, that you would probably be doing these similar kinds of check-ins with the local teams uh, because you want to represent things so well. Yes, as, as much as we can, we're trying indeed to tap into the sort of collective knowledge and force of Ubisoft that allows us to have uh, colleagues uh, everywhere uh, in a lot of countries in the world. We had the same uh, with Brazil. We had the same with Japan, for instance. Uh, uh, we also are lucky to have a very multicultural team in the studio. There's uh, like beyond 20 or 30 different nationalities. Most of the teams are composed, obviously, of uh, uh, Canadians, Americans, Europeans, uh, uh, Asians, like people from everywhere in the world. So, uh, Overall, it's a very, very multicultural environment, uh, which I think brings a lot uh, when it comes to building games. And so, yeah, this is year four now. And um, I'm curious here, what do you feel like you're most proud of in this sort of first era? Because in, in a sense, the fact that you, you know, you were talking in a presentation earlier about the idea that, that in a lot of ways, this year is sort of, you know, consolidating and refining now that, that it, it feels like that first phase of development of Siege is sort of, of over now. Now you're kind of really looking at all these elements of, of polish and improvement. Um, I mean, what are some of those things you're most proud of through this first phase? Uh, for the first three years, I think overall just being here three years after is a quite an, achie- a quite an achievement, to be honest. Uh, I think even though we dreamt when building that game uh, six or seven years ago, like, oh, we wish it's going to be a game with longevity, but I think none of us in the dev team at uh, Ubisoft had that that even projection hey you know what we're, we're going to be talking your four like i'm talking your four with you and we already have your five and, and even your six in mind you know dreams like that so to us it's a tremendous gift a tremendous opportunity we feel extremely lucky to be in a position where we can have a sort of serenity in developing the game because the moment you look not just purely short term but you have 
a year, two years or three years in your head, you, you, you have serenity. You can think about long-term investment that are going to be paying off. Uh, so I think that uh, we're, we're, we count ourselves very lucky. And uh, that's true. That's why, for instance, uh, this year, year four, we're introducing many, many changes in the dev team in how we structure ourselves so that we can actually change the way we do things, deliver content uh, sooner, more frequently, and uh, better than what we used to do in the past. Uh, so that's uh, a lot of work on ourselves that's going to pay off ultimately to the directly to the players. Uh, but that is possible because we've been having that uh, 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 commitment and these results with the player that are, that is amazing. And you know, uh, earlier you also mentioned that you've crossed like the two million dollar threshold uh, for the prize pool for the Invitational, uh, and it really does seem like those kinds of things. When there's that community um, feeding into those kinds of prize opportunities, it says a lot both about you know how much the community is kind of eager to be you know, contributing in and obviously just buying cool things in the game, uh, but also the idea that you want to also make sure not just you know, have a, you know, Dota style $20 million prize pool, but you want to kind of find that balance through the year. I think that's a really important uh, talking point. That is, uh, you said it perfectly. I think for us, it was important to find a true balance between uh, uh, bringing that, that sort of crowdfunding element to the prize pool. That's extremely cool to trigger some form of engagement and commitment from the player base, but at the same time, not creating a massive disbalance with one single massive price pool, as we can see in Dota, for instance, that sort of create a disbalance with the rest of the year. So uh, very soon when we said, okay, we are going to make a revenue sharing that goes to the price pool, we had that, uh, that uh, idea of saying, hey, but we are going to be capping it. It's important that if we reach a certain threshold, the, the, that additional sort of bonus uh, that comes from, from everyone uh, uh, chipping in, if you will, uh, gets redistributed uh, in the rest of the uh, ecosystem so that uh, it's much more uh, balanced and it's much more uh, the whole year become uh, uh, interesting and, and funded and, and, and with stakes. So yeah, that's really the idea. And you, you mentioned as well the idea that some of that might even filter down through into the, the Challenger League sort of level as well. So I guess uh, that's kind of an interesting point to try to try to, I guess, elevate that, uh, you know, that commitment to that second tier of people who are, you know, fighting it out to try to find that pro league space or whatever it might be. Um, you know, do you have, is there any like specific ideas you have about how that would kind of feed into the challenger league side of things yet? Not yet, because as, as I mentioned, we are not yet done with the operation. So, uh, uh once we have the final number, uh, we'll have a much uh, 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 clearer idea of, okay, hey, what is it that we can work with, right? Uh, but yes, tapping into some of the programs like the Challenger League that I think needs a little bit more investment and, you know, you're only as strong as your roots. Uh, so making sure that the community, the roots of the yeah. ecosystem or the esports ecosystem is, is stronger is very, uh, very important to us. Yeah, and then you know, uh, right at the at the very entry point there, the newcomer experience, trying to develop some of those ideas. I know, you know, I'm someone who came to the game by watching the esport, and then you're right. Then you try to jump in and go, I'm I don't know how to play this game the way they know how to play it. Um, so finding better onboarding opportunities is going to be really important uh, because I'm sure the discovery will continue, and and the fact that the game has 
grown you know, as its years have gone on is kind of a testament to the idea that people are finding it, but helping people to to get started yes. is important, right? It is very much. And, and one of the initiatives we're actually very proud and excited about is the newcomer playlist, which is a new playlist that we're adding in addition to casual and ranked, the two uh, experiences that uh, people can uh, already play it. And the newcomer is really that dedicated space for newcomers in the game. It's a limited number of maps, three maps, only one game mode. And by limiting the content that is available, that makes also it much easier to learn with only three maps. Then through repetition, you're going to get better at locating yourself, understanding which line of sight you should be, uh, uh, you should be looking at with where are the objectives. So making the learning experience a little less steep, a little less yeah. difficult to reach, uh, and, and matchmaking you with people of a similar level. So that playlist will be uh, restricted to player between level one and level 50 and everyone above 50 cannot join anymore the newcomer playlist so i think we're having a strong base already to welcome new players or even all the players that might have been uh, a bit uh, uh, frustrated at the beginning now there's a space that you can actually learn i think uh, uh, in a much better way the game yeah and yeah i'm i'm sure there'll be some great clips of the new uh uh, bounce back friendly fire mechanic that yep. you're looking to introduce. Yep. Um, but it, it, you know, clearly you're also, yeah, doing that work to make sure that people have the friendliest experience possible. Um, but it seems like a clever way to make sure you're not just re- entirely removing friendly fire because you still want that tactical problem to be part of the game, right? You're absolutely right. It's part of almost of the DNA of the game where uh, 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 there's a uh, high lethality in all of the gunplay in Rainbow Six, obviously for your enemy and, and uh, for your teammates. That choice is super important because what it brings is you should always be careful uh, when aiming and, and firing because indeed it's very lethal and there's if you don't if you spray and do, and don't aim specifically and there's a chance you can actually hurt or damage one of your teammates so we uh, it brings uh, an element of of tension and attention uh, yeah. when you are actually uh, playing that game and that is very important so reverse friendly fire is actually a pretty uh, 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 interesting mechanic that keeps that element of tension because there's the, the risk of uh, 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 getting damage is very much present. So we're not removing that aspect of tension, but at the same time, removing, we hope, as much as possible, that toxic uh, aspect. Because if you do try to kill someone once you're sanctioned with a reverse friendly fire, then you are the one taking the damage. Yeah. So you're the one who's going to die. Yeah. And that's it. It's one thing to spray a, an accidental bullet here or there. But if you've... If you've done it repeatedly, there's probably a reason that you did it repeatedly. <laughs> exactly. The, the mechanic is like, if you do damage, even kill a first of your teammates, you are not getting, uh, you're then getting the sanction and the message. And if after that message, you do damage or kill uh, up to killing someone, actually, you don't kill it because yeah. all of the damage goes back, uh, is reflected to you directly. Yeah, that's great. Um, now, one other thing about the you know the esports ecosystem as well is that idea of opening up to small partnerships with right. with different events. Um, you know, it is one of the big debates in the whole esports world is, you know, is sort of first party control over events versus open events. Um, it seems like, you know, you're really trying to, to open up that, that testing of how can these relationships work? Um, you know, what's some of the, the thinking behind that? I think open ecosystems are clearly the, uh, 
the philosophy that uh, has the longevity for it. Um, when you do design a discipline or, or a sport or an e-sport, I think you want as many people uh, as possible to benefit from it uh, at every level. And there's no way that a first party, uh, whether it's a publisher or else, can actually cover every needs and every locations. Uh, so if you want actually your discipline and your sport to, to thrive, to grow, to be present in, in, I don't know, every, tomorrow, every school, every, uh, every, you know, like every, uh, uh, universities. I mean, there's no way that Ubisoft can do on its own. And even if we invest like all of our people, yeah. right? We're not going to be covering. So opening your, your ecosystem, that's a way to actually, uh, uh get some help. And even more than that, it's going to be, a, we're going to get uh, uh, some examples that we never, ideas that we never thought about, ideas of, of potentially how to play the game, how to display the game. So it's always a very much, uh, uh, um, uh, very much uh, su such a benefit of having that uh, uh, healthy uh, uh, competition, if you will. So that's super cool. So having now people and, and, and organizations and uh, tournament organizers that are coming to us and say, hey, I'd love uh, to actually host and do a Rainbow Six uh, tournament uh, under my umbrella. It's it's a strong sign uh, and it's a, a, a healthy sign for the future. Yeah. Um, and to wrap up, I think, you know, what do you feel like the, you know, key challenges are that you are, you know, aiming to solve in this year? And what are the kind of other big, big things that are on the horizon that you sort of hope that you'll, you know, that you'll get to in the in the years ahead? I think the biggest challenge that uh, we are having and trying to solve this year is how do we bring uh, uh, value to the players more frequently and, and, and healthier? So if all of the uh, key topics like uh, toxicity or player behavior, uh, dealing with playlists, events, uh, uh, creating all of that uh, uh, ecosystem, we hit all of the mark and for your five presentation, you and I, we remember that and we say, hey, you know what? You actually delivered everything and maybe even more. Like, I think it will be a success. Uh, so this year, it's a year for us of uh, transforming our ways of doing things so that we actually bring more value more often to our players so that we grow the game better. <laughs> The eSports Moment is produced by me, Seamus Byrne, and is part of the ByteSide Network. It is distributed by Acast, and you can find the show through all of your favorite podcast apps. You can find me on Twitter via at Seamus, S-E-A-M-U-S, and you can find more about all the shows I work on via the website, ByteSide.com. And if you're enjoying this show or any of the other shows you've been checking out, please drop me a note on Twitter or via the website or leave a review on one of all those podcast apps uh, or places that you might find it. It really is great to hear feedback from people on what they're enjoying and what they'd like to hear more of. We'll see you next time. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.